Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have for us today. I do believe this is a word from you today. And we know that the enemy might not be very pleased about that. But we just come against him in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that the victory is won in Jesus. We thank you for your cross. We thank you for the assurance of your presence we have. And Father God, we know that this is your word and it comes forth with power. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak today, that it would be your voice that is said, your voice that is spoken to each one of our lives, to my own life, to all of us here in this fellowship. Would you speak to us, God? Help us to learn the truths of your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. A few months ago, um, we went through a three-part series from Philippians chapter 1, entitled, There is Hope. Now that's a good thought, isn't it? There is hope in a society where so often things are not going well. You read your newspaper and you want to just close it again. There is hope. And we looked at uh, three parts in a series on that. Part one was called The Power of Focus. The time of the letter to the Philippians was written around 62 AD. And the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. Not in a very good situation or circumstance. He's been beaten previously. He's been stoned. He's been totally rejected by most of the people that surrounded him. But notice his focus. He doesn't complain about his circumstances, but rather he focuses on his Saviour and he focuses on the church and even prays a blessing on the fellow believers there. So we saw in that study there that Paul had an upward focus on his Saviour and Lord and he had an outward focus even in the midst of very difficult circumstances he thought of others. The second part, he says confidently, maybe it is the cups in the way, was called the power of purpose. And secondly there we saw the power of purpose, looking at three particular aspects of the purpose shown in Philippians chapter 1. And these purposes apply to us here today. Three parts. Firstly, our purpose is to know and serve Christ. Secondly, our purpose is to advance the good news. And thirdly, our purpose is to encourage the believers. Part three was called the power of hope. And we saw there that our hope as believers is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. And our goal is to magnify and exalt him. Whether in our life or in our death. And there's a few parts of Philippians 1 there that would point us to that. Paul had hope in death in verses 22 and 23. He's almost wrestling with the fact that, you know, he's torn between the two. A desire to depart and be with Christ in heaven, which is better by far. But also he's rejoicing with opportunity to have fellowship with the fellow believers and to work for Christ together. Hope in life. Hope in death. So let's now turn to today's message. To the book of of Philippians, continuing where we left off in chapter 1. Let's read verses 27 to 30. Today's message is entitled, United in Christ. 
Philippians 1, yep, verse 27-30. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So firstly, I want to bring out today that we see a call here to live consistently. To live consistently. It's to do with our lifestyle and our conduct. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, whatever happens... Quite an emphatic statement, isn't it? Showing the importance of the words he's about to speak. It also suggests that the believers in Philippi are facing some serious problems. And what is the urgent message he has for them? He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Greek translation literally says, only behave as citizens worthy. The commentator Warren Wearsby says, The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of believers. Paul is calling the believers to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As believers in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. There's a thought. You know, we're singing that song before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Do we know that? We're citizens of heaven. Our names are written in the book of life. Citizens of heaven as believers in Christ. Later in the book of Philippians in chapter 3 verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly, eagerly await a saviour from there. It's talking about the coming again of the Lord Jesus. We eagerly await the coming of the Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an encouragement just as we start tonight to think of that? And it would have been an encouragement to them too. Now just to be clear, we don't get to heaven as a result of our good behaviour. We read in Ephesians 2, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Isn't that good? Well, I'm really glad it's not by works, because I wouldn't be there. And I would suggest that you wouldn't be either. But what an encouragement to know that it's not by works. No, it's not by works. It's by faith. So we don't get to heaven as a result of our good behaviour, but only by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And then we are saved and we become citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And our behaviour then should change to reflect that new position. The term citizen would mean a lot to the people in Philippi as it was a Roman colony. And its citizens were actually Roman citizens. Governed by Roman law and all that that would entail. 
What a joy for these believers to know that they now have a higher and a greater citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We need to remember that the world around us knows only the gospel that it sees in our lives. The words of an anonymous poem say this, You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Now the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, was buried and rose again. There is only one good news, you can't change it. And the wonderful news that sinners can become children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now the greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life. One commentator says, A local church that practices this truth, that behaves what it believes, is going to defeat the enemy. This is the first essential for victory in this battle. I just want to issue that challenge. This is as much, I'm not speaking to you today, I'm speaking to us all. God is speaking to us all. This is what he wants to say. Our lives do need to match up to what we believe. Not to enter heaven, but to be a witness to the world. And it's an essential for victory against the enemy. So we have the call to live consistently. Secondly, we have a call to work together. The second half of verse 27, Paul says, Then whether I come to you and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Paul is highlighting that believers should stand together in one spirit, contending as one man. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul states a similar point. Um, He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the parallels in that passage there from Ephesians? He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he also says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So you may be asking here, why is it so important that we need to do this? Well, it's because there's one Lord. It's because there's one faith. It's because there's one baptism and one God and Father of all. There's no disunity in the Godhead. And there should never be division in the church of Jesus Christ. The truth is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are one, whether we realise it or not. As believers in Christ, we are one. So why then is Paul having to stress so strongly that we should make every effort to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man? The message is clear. We are to behave in a way which reflects our unity in Jesus. 
So what was the threat to the unity of this particular church in Philippi? You might be asking that question. Well, there seems to be two main threats to the unity of the church. Firstly, there were some false teachers were coming in from outside, teaching different gospels, different messages of works, of other things you had to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Confusing the gospel message and getting it wrong. So there was a threat to the truth of the message of the gospel. And to apply that to ourselves today, we need to test everything that we hear. We can't just take it as read that everything is from God that comes from a Christian or someone who says that they're a follower of Christ or that they're preaching the gospel. Whether it's on TV, video, sermons, radio, or books that you read, we should always be praying that God will reveal to us His truth so that we're not misled. And also, we should be looking to the Scriptures directly to test every word against the Scriptures, including what I'm saying to you today. a threat to the truth of the message but there was also another threat to the unity of the church there was some division within the church at Philippi we read in chapter 4 verse 2 that two women weren't getting on and the division was holding back the work of the church you'll have heard the saying divide and conquer well Satan is well aware of this principle and division is one of the first things that he attempts to bring about in the church of Jesus Christ So there is opposition to the church of Christ internally there between believers. So to apply that to ourselves today, we can't let anything come between us and other believers. Because the only one who benefits from this is the devil. As we saw in the recent sermons from Philemon, reconciliation between believers is very important. As believers, we are children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ through that relationship with God. And we'll be spending eternity with each other. Amen. It'll be a wonderful day, though, won't it? It's hard to imagine, but it'll be a wonderful day. Not only will we be there with the Lord and see Him fully and just not have all the junk in the way of our own mistakes and failures in the world. But also we'll have this perfect relationship with each other as we come together to worship the Lord, to serve Him forever. It'll be a glorious day, won't it? It'll be a glorious day. So the enemy will use any and every means he can to distract our focus from the purpose that God has for us. And what are those purposes? To know and serve Christ, to advance the good news and to encourage other believers. Our relationship with God is hindered when we allow divisions amongst ourselves. Non-Christians will not listen to the message of the good news if they don't see us living out the message that we're speaking about. And how can we encourage other believers when we have bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts towards them? I'll just make a point here. It's not always that we agree on everything that someone does or you know, we all have different personalities and, and uh, ways of looking at things. But this is meaning where there are real bitterness and division and unforgiveness between folks. That's really what the focus is here. That we shouldn't allow that to happen. So let's make a positive decision today to not let the enemy have a foothold in this aspect of our lives. Always remember that we're in a spiritual battle. And we need to be alert to the fact we're in a spiritual battle and alert to the enemy's tactics.
So we have live consistently, work together. And thirdly, be confident. Be confident. It says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. You see, we're not to be afraid of the battle. The fact that we're in a battle, in fact, shows that we are saved. We wouldn't be in a battle, would we, if we weren't Christians? Because the enemy wouldn't be after us. Also notice here that in these verses, our confidence is a sign to the enemy that they will be destroyed. Our confidence in God is the signal of victory. If you can imagine it like you're raising a flag walking into the battle, you'd be raising the sign of confidence in the Lord as a signal of victory. Do you remember the story of Gideon? With a really, really small group of believers? you remember what happened? They shouted. And the Lord gave the victory. And it's like that here in Middlesbrough. I don't know if you maybe realise it. Sometimes we look and we say numbers aren't that big. But to God numbers mean nothing. He says be confident in me. Don't be afraid of the battle. He'll bring the victory. And in this life we will face suffering as well. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you in behalf of Christ... Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Sometimes this is a hard thing to understand and to accept really. That we have to face suffering as a Christian. But as facing suffering as a Christian, we are actually given the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You can see that expressed in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Quite a difficult thing to understand, but is it not a comfort to know that in the suffering we face as Christians, our Lord has walked before us, has faced suffering personally. He also walks with us through suffering. And in some mysterious way, it is part of our fellowship with Christ that even in the really tough times, we're sharing with him in the sufferings. It's very, very deep. And I think maybe for the rest of our lives, we'll struggle to understand it. Maybe if you're going through something that you cannot put your finger on, why? You would trust today that God goes there with you. And he goes there, he went there before you. And that even in that suffering and pain, you're sharing with him. And it's a privilege. So again, the battles, opposition and suffering, are all proof that we are united with Christ. It's all proof. These things are signals that we are united with Christ, that we are in fact saved. We are not suffering for ourselves. We are suffering for Christ. What a privilege. In John 3.33 Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, 
I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So see the person that you've heard speaking before and told you that the life of Christianity is all about getting rich and everything's going to go well. It's not biblical. Because these scriptures tell us it's guaranteed that we will, we will suffer persecution if we attempt to live a godly life in this world. It happened to Jesus, it happened to all of his followers since the history of time and it will happen to us. So let's not be discouraged when we face some battles, when we face some opposition and when we face some conflict. Don't be discouraged. Because in verse 30 we also see that we're not alone in the battle either. Firstly and most importantly God is with us. But secondly other believers are going through similar struggles. We can actually grow during these times of suffering and sharing the struggles together. As we pray for each other. Have you never felt that? As you meet, you share a struggle with someone privately or publicly. and There's growth in your life as a result of that experience and God moves and responds as we pray for each other, as we get alongside and encourage one another through the difficulties that we face. Warren Wearsby says, We experience the joy of spiritual teamwork as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. The idea we need to keep in mind here is that we're in this together. It's not a one-man band or a one-man army. We're in this together, contending as one man my brother Colin is going to a conference soon in America and it's called Together for the Gospel. There's something great about that title, I just absolutely love it. Together for the Gospel and what they do in this conference, they get people from different denominations to come and speak at it and actually the conference in itself is a witness to being together for the Gospel. That we put aside our Baptist and Presbyterian and whatever else. I think it's a marvellous testimony, isn't it? It's a great sign of our unity in Christ. We're in this together for a common goal, for the gospel. What a privilege, what a responsibility as well. As, as we here, we are approaching our first anniversary of the coffee house opening. And we can reflect back on probably many things about working together there was a great working together as part of this from right in the beginning from prayer right the way through to all the practical helps all the teamwork, all the fellowship just all the, all the tremendous stuff there in prayer what a blessing it was just to be part of prayer meetings and to see the faith here to believe God for the impossible when everything is against the next move that we have to make how many times did we face obstacles but we faced them with confidence in God. We faced them in prayer and in faith. And we faced them working together. And look, <laughs> the place that was given as a, as a pub is now God's house. <coughs> Nothing is impossible for God when we act in motion with him, in unity with him. And I'm proud to say this fellowship here has moved in unity with Christ. And it really has, and it is. And this, this place is even a testimony to that. 
And God worked miracles. And here we are to witness those miracles. And you know he's not finished yet. This is only the first anniversary. He's not finished with the miracles in Middlesbrough. And let's keep that focus on the Lord as we go forward. That confidence in him. That he will do what he has promised to do. Fourthly here we see that we're to be an encouragement. If we go into Philippians chapter 2 here, look at verse 1. The first word in chapter 1, verse 1, in the original Greek is therefore, which suggests that we need to look back a wee bit to the previous verses which we've just covered. In the ESV it says, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ. So this is just a continuation of the same thought we've been looking at. So so it says, if we have any encouragement from our own relationship with Jesus, being united with Christ, from the love we have received from him and our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it should should encourage us to respond positively in our behaviour towards others. You notice the words tenderness and compassion? Those words make me think of Jesus, of his example. In Matthew 14.14 we read, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We read on many occasions that when Jesus was met with human need, suffering and failure, he showed compassion. And you know for Moody's burn too, they need to see compassion. You notice that Jesus showed compassion before he met their need. The way he did it was so important. And we too have received the tenderness and compassion of Jesus. And we're better asked now to show these qualities towards other folks. He says in verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And here Paul continues to emphasise the display of unity. And now there's a, there is a difference between unity and uniformity. We're saying that word a lot today. It doesn't mean that we're all to be the same. It doesn't mean we're all identical robots that just say yes and no at the same times and have identical responses. But true spiritual unity comes from inside. It really is a matter of the heart. And it's not something that you can force. It can't be forced. So to apply that to ourselves, we need to uphold each other in prayer. Keep praying for each other. We need to keep showing tenderness and compassion to each other, no matter what's happening. We're also to be like-minded in the truth that we learn. That's part of our sharing together in Bible study and church services. As we learn and share together, we become, so to speak, as one mind. In our faith, we have a similar understanding of the scriptures, and we're able to share that similar understanding in unity. We have to have the same love. Where's the love coming from? The love comes from God. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What a wonderful thing. It's a promise. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And we also see there that we, we have not only the same love poured into our hearts, but we have the same Holy Spirit poured into our lives 
Every believer in Jesus shares the same Holy Spirit. Have you ever met another believer, you, you never have known them before, and you look into their eyes and you know they're a believer, and you felt like you've known them all your life? It happened to me once in California with somebody I'd never met, who said, I feel like I've known you for years, and I felt the same way. And I'd never met the man before. <laughs> Is that not a witness to the Holy Spirit in us? Because yes, we have known each other because we know Christ. It's a, it's a fantastic truth we share the same Holy Spirit I love this one in Ephesians 1 verse 13 it says having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit we're sealed in God through the Holy Spirit that's just an encouragement for me as hope would be for you of our assurance of our salvation that actually the Holy Spirit working in us is the seal of our salvation the evidence of new life and the guarantee of Jesus in us, the hope of glory. And again, as we said, we're united for the same purpose, the same goal, to live for the glory of God and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a statement, an old statement that goes, for the glory of God and the souls of men. And it kind of summarizes the two main goals of our lives. Glorify God in everything we do. Worship Him only. And go all out for the souls of men. To win folks who are dying. Who are going to lost eternity. That they might be saved. Now just in closing. I'd like to read verses 5 and 11. I'm not going to get into great detail. Maybe do that in the future. <coughs> this is to look at the example of Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are to be humble like Christ. We've not to be selfish. We've not to be self-seeking. Jesus, God's beloved son, didn't cling to his position. He humbled himself, taking the nature of a servant, appearing in human form, and then further humbling himself as he died on the cross to pay the punishment for all of our sins. So as we concentrate on Jesus Christ, let's not allow division to creep in. We can focus on the primary things that unite us. That is, Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That he paid the price for our sins on the cross. That we might be reconciled to God, making us children of God. And brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that unites us.
as we live consistently, as we work together, as we be confident, as we be an encouragement, we will see our purposes fulfilled to know and serve Christ, to advance the good news and to encourage the believers. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour or you're not sure, I would encourage you to take the opportunity to respond. We can see from the passage that we've just read that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross to pay the price for our sins and make a way for us to be reconciled, to make a way for us to be citizens of heaven. If you want to take this step of faith today, you can pray to God. You can ask Him to forgive you your sins. That's an important step. We don't just believe in Jesus, we ask Him to forgive our sins. And even as a believer, maybe you want to come and say, God, I've I've not been living for you, I've been walking away from you, and I want to ask you to forgive me for that too. Because we believe, we ask Him to forgive us, and we turn from our old way of life and follow Him. Jesus is God's Son. He lived a perfect life on earth. He died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. He rose again from the grave on the third day, conquering the power of sin and death. I'll just read this to you again. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God we thank you for your word to us today and I thank you for this fellowship here at New Beginnings and we do pray Lord God that just as I'm sure the church of Philippi would do that you would help us to understand these truths And to put them into practice, Lord God. We want to see your church advance. And have souls won for the kingdom. And for the folks in Moody'sburn here to know the truth. And be able to be saved through that truth. So Lord God, we just pray you would help us, Lord, just to see those areas that you might highlight to us. That we need to work on. And for those, Father, that just aren't sure about their walk with you right now at all. I just pray you would speak into their lives and that they might make a commitment that's real. And if they feel they're they're at a distance from you just now, Lord, I just pray you would encourage them to come back to you. To trust on the work that you have accomplished for them on the cross. And that there's forgiveness for sins there. I thank you and I praise you for all that you are and all that you're doing. I give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.